Hey everyone, it's Doug here. My travel schedule threw a little kink in the podcasting schedule for this week. So the week five recap is coming to you a day late with James and Chris, but they got you covered. They're going to take a recap of week five, take a look at week six, and our podcast schedule will be uh, pretty much the regular for the rest of the week. Thursday, cash game plays. Friday, game by game breakdown podcast with James and I. But week five got you covered. James and Chris, here we go. And we're back in the DFSR for our recap podcast for week five. This is James and... Chris. Yeah, and Chris, that's right. So we are flying without a net this week, Doug, gallivanting off in Mexico. We are trying to still get out a recap podcast for last week. Uh, Doug had unanticipated traveling delay. He was, I think it wound up being like 24 hours door to door with like long layovers in Houston. He's sending me pictures of his young child crawling around like the Houston airport, so... (laughs) Uh, complete and utter mess, and so that leaves you with the B team of me and Chris Durrell. Uh Chris is our hockey guy, NASCAR guy, PGA guy. Uh, does baseball as well, so really a, a jack of all trades for us. And knows some footballs too. So, and I don't know, are, are you still planning on recording a video, Chris, for your cash game plays of the week? Yes, I'm going to go over a video, just kind of looking at some cash game plays using that my my cheat sheet as well as some of the the player lab stuff on site. Nice. Is your cheat sheet just my picks article that I wrote? Um, yeah, I kind of just copied off yours and kind of went from there. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Awesome. So you can check that out on the site. I'm sure coming up at some point, either Wednesday or Thursday here, uh, my cash game article is already live. And so, like I said, we're a little bit late on the recap, but, uh, we'll do the recap now cash game podcast with me and Doug tomorrow. Uh, hopefully as long, assuming he can sort out his tech issues and then on to the game by game podcast on Friday. Uh, as always, you can head on over to dfsr.com slash deals, and that will get you a free three day trial plus $5 off our week or monthly membership uh, for the rest of your life. So that's a special deal only for podcast listeners. You can't find that anywhere else. dfsr.com slash deals, free three day trial plus $24.95 a month after that if you decide to stick with us. So recap time. Uh, this week was a, a kind of a funny week for the DFSR lineups. Uh, you know, you can make many, many lineups on DFSR, but you know, you're kind of ultimately judged by the cash game lineups that you spit out. Our DraftKings lineup wind up crushing it. FanDuel winds up bubbling. We just can't get one more reception at an Elson Aguilar in the yeah. end there. And uh and we wind up, let me see here. Yeah, point one or no, one point one points off the cash. So, you know, these things will happen. That's DFS for you. Football tends to throw salt in the wounds because you only get to play a couple times per week but we're living large uh that being said though you know i don't know if you saw this too chris but the chalk seemed to be really good this week you know sometimes there's you know really notable outstandingly bad chalk plays this week the only one that really qualifies there was sort of de facto chalk guy vance mcdonald he wound up at 78 percent ownership in the big two double two dollar double up on FanDuel, but that's just because he's cheap and the tight end sucks. But did you see that too? Was there was there a lot of chalk popping off in the contest you were in? Oh, it was crazy. Like especially when you're talking about running backs, like Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, James Conner. They were all like, I'm looking yeah. at GPP lineups right now. They were all like around thirty percent plus in GPP, and they all crushed it. So crazy. yeah, it was definitely chalk week. Yeah, even McCaffrey, who we ran, had almost fifty percent ownership in cash. Uh, in 8,100, he scored 17.8 fantasy points. So, you know, another solid performance. Uh, and thinking of the top overall cash game lineup, you had Big Ben, 45%. Uh, Gurley at 55%. Galladay and Valdez Scantling were both in that lineup. They were both north of 30%. Connor, like you mentioned. So, yeah, big-time chalk week. 
And when that happens, it kind of feels like nothing notable happened, but actually notable things did happen. So we can jump into those now. Oh, another chalk running back that kind of uh, did really well was TJ Yeldon. Uh, and we'll yeah. talk about him, I think, in the Cash Game article tomorrow. But uh, let's just start with uh, overall big picture trends. You know, one of the things we're seeing this season is that there's a big scarcity in terms of reliable running backs. And people are finding more reliability you know, kind of spread out across more price ranges at wide receiver. How are you feeling about the running back position right now, Chris? Because like Doug and I have talked at length about how, you know, and I guess this was evidenced a little bit by just the sheer number of chalk running backs, uh, given that there were like, I think four running backs with 30% or higher ownership last week. Are you feeling confident going week to week into running back? Or are you feeling like you're just praying that one of the actual good running backs has a good matchup? What are you seeing right now? I'm feeling a lot better about it than, say, I think it was week two or week three where we only had one running back with 20-plus <laughs> carries. It was just absolutely crazy while there was like okay, four or yeah. five running backs with double-digit targets. It's come, really come around. I think last week we had, uh, looks like, nine or ten running backs with 20-plus carries. So it's, it's nice, really nice. starting to trend back again, I guess you could say, to like old-school uh, jamming up the middle football. Um, but... Those now with that you got like Todd Gurley who's priced just in this week coming up here after a three touchdown performance. Uh, he only had seventy seven yards, twenty two carries, but he's ten k on DK this week. So <laughs> yeah. all those reliable running backs, the price is just skyrocketing. So it's kind of changing the way we uh, constr- are going to be able to construct lineups. We got to look for a lot more value moving forward. But uh, in the long run, I mean, I don't. I think a lot of those running backs, like uh, we got by little Powell. We got Alfred Blue. Those are two guys that stick out yeah. to me that had twenty plus carries. That maybe it isn't sustainable moving forward. But uh, I mean, your guys like Zeke, Connor, Hunt, Mixon, Gurley. Um, those guys, I think, are going to sustain. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on. Actually, you know, one of the things I talked about in my cash game article this week was the idea that. I think we have more game script dependent guys now than ever. I mean, you talked about Bilal Powell, but uh, Kroll in that game also had 15 carries. So the Jets just aren't going to get 35 carries in most games, duh, because they're just not a very good team. And in order to carry the ball that many times, you either have to be trying, you basically have to be trying to end the game fast on purpose, which you just don't do if you're behind, right? So I think that we that will be the high on the total for the Jets carries going forward. And then I think you're going to see reliable carry totals mostly out of the good teams like you mentioned uh Gurley, Connor uh, ultimately when Bell comes back we'll see how the Steelers decide to use him I think Hunt will be right there in that reliable category I'm curious to know what you think about Zeke though because Elliot going into next week is really cheap on DraftKings I think he's like 7,000 I had listed him as an also considered on FanDuel because he doesn't have a great matchup and you know this isn't the cash game picks article but we saw big usage out of Elliott like Dallas is going right back to the drawing board with him 27 total touches but he only turned those 27 touches into 84 yards I mean he's cheap going into next week I think he's like 81 on FanDuel the usage is clearly there but are the Cowboys good enough for that to matter like are are you putting him in the same class as Gurley right now or is he a tier below I think he's a tier below just because the uh, game script isn't going to be there for him. Dallas has no wide receivers. Um, they are He's going to get the touches, like you said, but what he's doing with those touches, just it's just not there. And I guess the price dropping on DraftKings, like I, I definitely agree with the also consider because of the, you know, say the points per dollar value with the touches that he's going to get. Yeah, but I just don't think sure. it's, I just don't think it's sustainable um, for him to, to put up those kind of points in an offense that just can't seem to get the ball down the field and they can't score touchdowns. Yeah, that's really the trick, right? Because I think good teams realize, well, 
first of all, good teams realize you just can't run the ball to infinity when you're down. And the Cowboys aren't necessarily qualifying in that good team category. And that's fine because they can continue to pass to Zeke. But the problem there is that when you become predictable in the NFL, you basically just shoot yourself in the foot. If you, if opposing teams know that they have to run Zeke in order to do anything at all with that wide receiver core they have there, you're going to see more games coming down the pipeline of these just like absurdly inefficient 2.7 yard per carry games. And at some point, someone in the Cowboys front office is going to say enough is enough. You know, I think the same holds true for guys like Alfred Blue. I mean, any illusions that we had that Houston was going to sustain anything offensively outside of Deshaun Watson just went out totally out the window for me. And I think that actually bodes well for both Watson and Hopkins going forward. Both of those guys had great weeks last week. And I suspect you'll see more of the same going forward because even if they're up, I mean, a reassuring thing, I guess, for Blue's sake is that he did see eight targets and eight receptions for 73 yards. But even if they're up, they can't be excited about handing the ball off to this guy. Like, He's never really been good, and they're not very good at run blocking. So, yeah, I think you're going to see even a higher floor for Watson and Hopkins going forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, you know, sticking with the Houston thing, something that you, may, you didn't mention in the past game was uh, the, the emergence of uh, Kiki Kute. Um, he yeah, that's an interesting in, one. In Indy last week, he had 15 targets, caught 11 of them for 109. Then he turned around this week. He caught six of seven targets for 51 yards and a touchdown. So he's got 14 plus fantasy points on or on Fanduel in in his two weeks there. And I mean, if Hopkins is gonna, mm-hmm. it's kind of like an Antonio Brown, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster deal where Antonio Brown and Hopkins are gonna get the top coverage every week. Where um, Kiki Kute, you know, teams don't have a lot of film on him. I mean, besides college and stuff. But, you know, until they catch up with that, I think, you know, he's not going to get double coverage ever. He's going to get the second best corner on the team, and I think he can emerge too, and his price is really low. So I think we need to get on him now um, before his price is in, like, the 6,500 range on FanDuel and in the mid-5K range on DraftKings. Yeah, so a quick question about QT. Like, Will Fuller, I think most people would agree, is the the in name anyway second receiver on that team he was targeted just three times last week i mean you saw yeah. hopkins has been able to sustain an absurd target share for his whole career do you think we see kute out target fuller going forward or do you think that was like a coverage-based aberration because watson and fuller have been very comfortable with each other in the past yeah i think it's a it's a coverage thing and myself um especially when it comes down to cash games I love looking at slot slot wide receivers, um, and he's running, yeah, I think, sure. about 65% out of the slot right now because most teams, their best corners are going to be on the outside. So anytime the Texans are yeah. going to go up against a team, I mean, Hopkins can exploit any matchup no matter how good the corner. He's just that good. Right. But Fuller isn't in that level, um, I guess, as, as Hopkins, as A.B., as Julio Jones that can take advantage of those good corners. So when that happens, um, you're going to get targets to Hopkins and you're going to get targets to, to Kute. So I think in those good matchups, he's definitely going to have good games. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen Watson force the ball to Hopkins in the past, and part, part of that is going to be because Hopkins is such a transcendent talent, and part of that is simply going to be because he was a young quarterback and young quarterbacks tend to stick with their first read as he gets more established in the NFL you know the schemes become a little bit more sophisticated for the Texans I do think you'll see him spreading the ball out a little bit more and I think your point is spot on I mean when you have two dynamic wide receivers on the outside there are just going to be times where you don't need to throw the ball 25 yards right so uh, finding Kute over the middle could be something we should keep an eye on going forward yeah that's definitely an interesting one I don't know that I'm quite there for cash just yet I, I get a little wary in the modern NFL about Doug texting me, by the way, just trying to figure out if we're actually doing this. Yes, Doug. How are you guys doing? I'm here this soon enough. 
<laughs> He's texting me, so I don't think he can hear you talking yet. But um, but yeah, so I think we keep an eye on it. I'm a little gun shy in the modern NFL with taking guys that I can't project for like 10 targets in a game. And maybe you can for Kute going forward. I'm just not totally sure. Uh, nonetheless, though, still big tournament upside for me. And I think it's, it, like I said, something we should keep an eye on. Uh, another one that I wanted to bring up to you was, you know, I was kind of sorting, I was doing some research for the cash game article. In my mind, Joe Flacco was the quarterback with the most attempts this season, but it's actually Andrew Luck. And, you know, Luck, very notably, uh, most people are talking about how he's really not throwing the ball downfield that often. But man, is this guy throwing the ball a ton right now. 59 attempts last week, 365 passing yards, three touchdowns. Eric Ebron positively goes off. He's 6,500 going forward. What can we expect from the Colts offense right now? Like, is this an offense that we can target for fantasy purposes? Because they looked pretty dead in the water to me early on this season. But if they're going to be generating 60 passing attempts in some games, certainly there has to be something I should be excited about here, right? Yeah, and they kind of fit into the same mold for me as a couple teams. Uh, you mentioned Joe Flacco, um, Minnesota Vikings, um, and what all these teams really have in common is they don't have a run game. Um, and when you don't have a run game yeah. and you're only getting, say, 60, 70 yards per game on the ground, you have to throw that many times, which, for I mean, that's maybe not good for them in real-life football, but for fantasy football, <laughs> it's tremendous. Who cares? I mean, yeah, exactly. yeah who, who, gives, who gives a crap how many times they're throwing as long as they're throwing for us in fantasy? So I definitely think Andrew Luck, yeah. like he was doing that without uh, receiving core really last week. Um, Eric Ebron went off for two touchdowns last week. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another guy that I'm really looking at in that offense because of his – pass catching ability is uh, running back Naheem Hines um he's getting yeah, exactly. he's not getting a lot of rushes he had a season high 15 carries last week but he's getting a lot of targets and he's catching them and he's making up yards like his yards after the catch um out of the backfield there has been really good so and it, he's cheap I mean with the prices of some of these oh, yeah. top tier running they're backs giving him away up. on DraftKings especially yep. 5100 like you know with that target share he doesn't really like if he just catches the seven balls for zero yards. You're like already not disgusted, right? So yeah, yeah I exactly. Think you can you can definitely look at Heinz there. Yeah, so I agree with you that uh, they're definitely fantasy friendly offense. Um, like I said, Ebron and Heinz are really the only pass catchers that I can see being cash viable because um, those other guys I just mm-hmm. I just don't see them as being very reliable week to week. But uh, definitely GPP, you can pair him with pretty much any of those, you know, unknowns. T.Y. Hilton's going to be back, so he's a really big upside guy. But I still don't think we can uh, trust him week in and week out for cash either. Yeah, I think that's true. I think Hilton, he's ultimately just too reliant on the deep ball for a quarterback that doesn't seem to want to throw the deep ball right now, no matter what the coaching staff says. And we've seen him be an inefficient target guy anyway in the past. And so, you know, if they decide to mix up their usage on Hilton, I do think he has some catch and run potential, but I don't think you want to go overboard on it. Um, So actually, another thing I wanted to bring up with you, last week I wrote an article about the biggest price movers on FanDuel and DraftKings, you know, guys who's Uh, especially notable guys whose prices had shifted either up very high or down dramatically. Uh, Three of the guys, I'm just going to pat myself on the back here (laughs) that I brought up. Uh, One was Calvin Ridley. Uh, Calvin Ridley was, I think, the biggest riser and wide receiver. Um, The thing I pointed out about him that I want to continue to help everyone remember is when players are becoming very touchdown dependent and their price is rising as a result, you just can't get too excited because just basically nobody in the NFL is going to score two touchdowns a game on seven to ten touches a game. It just doesn't happen, right? So uh, Ridley, he turned in basically the exact type of performance I expected he would at some point, which is like the mid single digit targets and like mid, it was like 50 yards or something like that. Um, I just want to continue to caution people to, 
really get super excited about young players who go off for big touchdown totals or who put up like one explosive play and uh, and do something. And on the flip side, we saw some tried and true names, guys that were the two guys I listed as the biggest price droppers, and that was David Johnson and Odell Beckham Jr. Both of those guys turned right around and showed why they were priced so high in the beginning of the season. So I guess it's like a broader sample size question I have for you. You know, I think people get really understandably worked up after an early season you know, good performances out of people in the case of guys like Ridley or early season slow starts. Football is so deceptive, right? Because you can go a quarter of the season is only four games. If you played a quarter of an MLB season, that would be 40 games. If you played a quarter of a basketball season, that would be like 21 games or something like that. How, at this point in the season, are you trusting the sample sizes we're seeing? Are you kind of viewing it on a case-by-case basis? Like, how do you treat this season stats versus your beginning of season baselines like what are you doing with that right now yeah it's pretty much a case-by-case basis and and you nailed it with calvin ridley their young player um kind of went off two games in a row had really you know getting the touchdowns which made up a lot of his points he only had one performance so far this year over 64 yards and that was that seven for eight 146 and three in week three against new orleans so and then his price like you said has just continually gone up um it's at 50 6300 so it went up again this week I just I don't trust that. Those are the kind of guys that I like to fade, especially well in all formats. Yeah. To be honest, I'll get a little bit. Um, I'll have less in the field for sure on guys like that. But uh, you mentioned another one in David Johnson, whose price started to come down. It, it was only a matter of time without a coach getting fired that they were going to give the ball yeah. to their best player <laughs> in space um, without running. Uh, I think it was Chase Edmonds as their second running back. He was getting some more mm. more touches than at the start of the season than David Johnson. So it was only a matter of time. So seeing that price come down and knowing that the opportunity is going to grow, that's definitely a guy you want to jump on. Um, I kind of compare it a little bit to a stock market, buy low, sell high kind of thing. Um, so that's Yeah, really of course. Well, And that's, and that's really it. the trick with DFS, right? Like it's, it's really, really hard to know when a guy becomes cheap for a reason. You know, that's, that's a, a term Doug and I will use sometimes where it's like, okay, this guy's price dropped, but that's because he's getting targeted four times a game, right? Versus a guy like Johnson, who was still, even in losses, seeing a lot of touches, he just wasn't doing a whole lot with them. And, and I'll tell you what, you're going to be back in the same boat this week. Uh, Johnson, 7500 on FanDuel going up against Minnesota. That's a really cheap price for a guy who just sat at 9000 for multiple seasons, right? And so, yeah, granted, a lot has to go right for Johnson to pay this off right now simply because Arizona is so bad. But you have to think if Arizona sticks in one of these games that the reason is going to be because of David Johnson, right? So uh, you talked about GPP ownership. I think a lot of people approach big tournaments in exactly the wrong way. What they do is they see a guy who's young and exciting, who's coming fresh off of putting up the biggest weeks, and saying, okay, this is the guy, right? Calvin Ridley is my big tournament target. Well, Calvin Ridley should, in many cases, be one of the last guys on your list because, first of all, everyone knows that he has the big upside, right? And in big tournaments, you have to come in first place to really get paid. Like like a million dollars out of the FanDuel prize pool is a significant rake on the rest of the tournament. So if you're constructing lineups that cannot win, like lineups that you're going to have a guy with 40% of the field or whatever – that's going to make it really, really tricky for you. And not yeah. that any lineup can't win, but you're, I think you're reducing your chances to get separation from the field versus guys' unsexy plays like David Johnson or even Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson I was, was just in a million-winning lineup. 
Um, he he had like almost no ownership. Why? Because he had four bad weeks. Now, granted, there was a reason. I wasn't high on Robbie Anderson. Uh, it didn't look like Darnold had any interest in getting the guy the ball at all. But these are where you should be making your pivots. You know, look for those guys that people are just soured on. Odell Beckham, four percent ownership in a big tournament, winds up scoring twenty-seven Fanduel points in the overall winning lineup. Why? Because everyone thought, ah, oh, Odell Beckham Jr. Is, is washed up. When in reality, he's still getting 10 targets a game. He just coming off a week where he was up against Marshawn Lattimore and Sterling Shepard had the poo-poo platter of all the other cornerbacks on the Saints who collectively rank as the worst cornerback in the league when it comes to defending slot receivers and WR2s, right? So it was a really long rant to say, when you're thinking about big tournaments, yes, consider upside, but try to look for upside where other people aren't looking. You know, like don't recency you don't bias. need Mahomes. You know, <laughs> you know exactly recency bias. That should be like the 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 guys you should be looking at. Like a great guy for me would be like Tyler Boyd. You know, like a guy who has demonstrated big target share. People were excited about. A lot of people got burned by, and now they're going to be looking elsewhere. Um, I think that's where you want to be, kind of fishing around for your big tournaments, not in the the pool of guys who just scored the most points. If that makes sense. 100%. That's exactly how I like to look at my GPPs. Um, I do an article, uh, GPP Pivots, on Saturday, and I kind of look at projected mm. ownership from a few different sites. And then in that same price range, I'm looking for a guy that's maybe in that 5% range versus a guy that's going to be 20% and pivot to that guy in my GPP lineups to separate myself. Because like you said, Robbie Anderson right. was 0.5% owned last week in winning lineups everywhere. So that's definitely how I approach GPPs as well. Love it, love it. So a couple guys, I'd like to move over to wide receivers now because, you know, as usual, you're going to see a couple of the big names there, you know, Brown and Hopkins among the, both the point leaders and the target leaders this week. But I'm going to throw out a couple of names. Oh, Beckham too, 14 targets. I'm going to throw out a couple of names that maybe people weren't high on going into this week. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on if you think this level of target share is sustainable. Uh, so Dante Moncrief led all wide receivers in targets last week with 15. Uh, Jacksonville, very notably, vacated a ton of targets at the beginning of the season with Hearns and Robinson. Uh, everyone was talking D.D. Westbrook, Keelan Cole. Is it going to be Moncrief? I mean, is he gonna, He didn't really do much with it, by the way, either. He only hauled in six balls for 76 yards. But are we moving into a world where Dante Moncrief is going to be a double-digit target receiver again? Like, back from his days of the dead filling in for T.Y. Hilton as the wide receiver two on Indy? Like, is he a guy you can trust or a big tournament guy for you going forward? Or do you think this is just kind of a flash in the pan? He's always had the talent. Um, it's been more injuries that have really hurt him. And, you know, he's been injured in-game quite a few times, and that's led to a lot of box scores. So you got the box score chasers who are going to stay away from a guy like Dante Moncrief. But um, definitely mm-hmm. when it comes to cash games, I don't trust any of the Jacksonville wide receivers. Um, Blake Bortles is going to be, it's weird to say, but like the safest guy in that offense. TJ Eldon's there too, don't get me wrong, uh, with Fournette out. But uh, all three of those guys, I think, give you gpp upside but it's like roll a dice or you know put the names in a hat and pick one out to who's going to be the guy that performs every week because yeah. i mean all three of them can do it so it's very tough situation for sure i don't think yeah, the i think that's a really good take actually yeah i think that's a really good take you know we saw the big week out of westbrook he was i think the highest owned jag coming into this week and then we basically see Moncrief slide into the exact role that Westbrook inhabited last week and uh, Westbrook sort of disappears so I think it is kind of roulette there but that makes it interesting for GPPs you know what I mean like when you have a situation where you don't know who the number one receiver is going to be from week to week it obviously increases your risk like I think a lot of people will want to stick their necks out on Moncrief for cash games next week but in reality what you're really doing is tapping into upside Uh, another team that 
is sustaining absurdly high target share right now uh, just because they're passing so much are those Baltimore Ravens. You know, I mentioned Flacco second in the NFL in terms of attempted passes this season. Last week, we saw John Brown get 14 targets, do almost nothing with them, catch four balls for 58 yards. We saw Michael Crabtree, though, catch six balls for 66 yards. These guys are both still in the low 6,000s. Are these guys that you want to target for big tournaments or for cash games? What do you make of the Baltimore offense right now? If they're both going to sustain that double-digit targets uh, moving forward at their prices right now, I think both are cash game viable. And, I mean, they haven't been doing much with them. So I think that kind of ta- or you know caps their upside a little bit. But uh, definitely for cash games, I'm looking at them. And then a little bit, in, uh, depending on the matchups, um, I really like to break down which corners they're going to be facing, what defenses, yeah. um, who, who they're going to be running against to pick which one for GPP upside. But as long as they're going to sustain that target share, which I think they're going to, maybe not 14 a week, but even if they're both around that 9, yeah. 10 targets per week, I think that's at their prices. Like I said, I think they're both viable for cash games. Yeah, I'm with you on Crabtree. I, I like Crabtree for cash this week. Yeah. I think you know he's shown a tendency in the past to be really good on those underneath routes. Uh, he's also an excellent red zone target when he's not dropping balls. Uh, John Brown for me feels a little bit more like a big tournament play. Like you know the Ravens are taking a lot of shots downfield with him right now, and they have a, a history of doing that as well with Torrey Smith, Steve Smith. You know, like Flacco is comfortable throwing the deep ball. It's just that these targets have been so inefficient this season. Brown the worst in the league in terms of converting targets to receptions this season. And I just have to think that at some point, well, it goes either way. Either he's going to turn in like a nine reception week where he has like 200 receiving yards, or he's just kind of kind of disappear as the Ravens turn to more reliable options. The Ravens, another team that vacated a lot of targets. So I think we still have some time for that situation to shake out. But for me, I guess it's like leaning Crabtree and cash and uh, Brown for big tournaments. Uh, let's slide over and talk a little bit about green Bay right now. Um, they had two receivers post really, really excellent weeks this week. Uh, we had Devontae Adams, and I'm kicking myself because I was just not sure on the injury news. Uh, so, you know, it was ultimately my call to pull him out of our, I think he was on both FanDuel and DraftKings, and I, and I think he wound up getting knocked out because I lowered his targets. He, he comes back with 12 targets once again, uh, turns that into yeah. 140 and a touch. We see Marcus Valdez scantling, hauling seven balls on 10 targets for 68 and a touchdown. Are we just still in value town with Adams and Scantling? Is like Adams a true number one the way many thought he would be going into the season? Is Valdez Scantling, is he a, a great value play going forward? Or are, are these just flashes in the pan? Or, you know, what's what are your feelings on the Green Bay passing attack right now? Yeah, I think Adams for his price is definitely, uh, you know, top five, top ten receiver in the league right now. Uh, Aaron Rodgers absolutely loves throwing to him. And I'm just looking at... Uh, um, one of the contests I was in for GPP last week, the winning lineup had Rogers, Adams, and Scantling together. I mean, the combined price was not very yeah. much, and they were all under 5% owned. Well, sorry, uh, Scantling was 11% owned, and still that seems pretty low with the news that we got that Cobb and Allison were going to be out, and it sounds like both yeah, of them absolutely. could be out again this week. I don't I don't think Allison's been cleared of his concussion yet, and I think Cobb's going to be out again. So definitely this week i know i don't think they're on the main slate this week uh, i think the green bay game is maybe a monday night game i'm not 100 percent on that right now i can just look at the schedule but yeah i think uh, that's right yeah but going forward if that's the case uh scantling i'm a little iffy on unless allison and cobb are out um if they're out i'm definitely looking at him and if any of them are out um even just one of them 
I really like Devonte Adams as, as a top guy. I mean, uh, I believe he's got a pretty good catch rate as well this season. So he's definitely one of the top guys I'm looking at. Yeah, he's got 67%. I mean, that's a lot higher than some guys that we've talked about. Um, I kind of look yes. for 65% plus. If you can get above 70%, that's really a guy I'm looking at in cash. But he's getting 11 targets per game right now. And uh, like I said, 67% catch rate. He's getting the touchdowns, and he's pretty much on the field every single snap. So definitely a guy I'm yep. looking at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a shame that we're going to miss out on these guys this week on the main slate because I just think both of them have such high floors for their price points. Uh, Adams, yeah, like the sixth most targeted receiver in the NFL right now instead, in spite of being a little bit banged up. Uh, Valdez scaling on the field for 77 snaps. Turns out into 10 targets last week. If Allison's out, this guy is a phenomenal play at a $5,500 price point. It's just, yeah, you won't get him on the main slate. And if he does it again, he's going to be 6500 the next week. So if you're playing that Sunday into Monday slate or Thursday to Monday slate, uh, those are definitely buy, buy low guys for me, uh, especially yeah. until that situation totally shakes itself out. Um, anything else you're seeing on the wide receiver front? Like any guys that are kind of standing out to you as potential value plays, risers, uh, guys that burned you? Like what else are you seeing from wide receiver right now? Yeah, so I'm going to touch on uh, my favorite team, the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going to try and not be a homer right. here in this in this little discussion. But uh, Adam, well, just Thielen, be clear, Chris is in Canada. You, you might not have figured that out from the way he says <laughs> offense, but um, Canada notably is not an NFL stronghold in terms of NFL teams. So, are, is Minnesota the closest team to you up in uh, Saskatchewan there? I believe we're like right in between uh, Minnesota and then going over to Seattle. And I just always became, oh, okay. uh, it was a Randy Moss that really got me going on the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, so, sure. So that's where uh, I've stuck. But uh, uh, Thielen's price has really gone up. They're pricing him in that elite area right now. And I mean, it makes sense. He just, uh, he's the only receiver in the NFL era with five straight 100-yard games to start the season. He's got 66 targets tied with Antonio Brown. But where he separates from Antonio Brown right now, like I'm looking at those two wide receivers in the main slate this week. I like Thielen for cash, even though the price has gone up because they have absolutely no run game. Antonio Brown, I'm more on the um, GPP side of things because, one, he's on the outside. He's getting the he's getting the better coverage from the team. Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster has been good as well. He's a lot cheaper. He's the cash game play on Pittsburgh for me. And looking at Thielen versus Brown... Thielen's catching 71% of his passes while Brown's down in that 53% range. Until that starts coming up, I'm just not willing to pay that high a price. And that's why I will pay that high a price for Adam Thielen. Is just he's, he's exploiting teams in the slot. And then again this week, I think Patrick Peterson is going to be on um, Stefan Diggs more. And Thielen's going to be able to exploit another matchup against, uh, I think it's Buda Baker, who he's, who he's going to face in the slot this week. So Thielen mm. definitely is an every week play for me. Until, until something changes, and I just don't see it happening because Minnesota has absolutely no run game. Diggs is more the upside, uh, long threat, um, deep play guy that I'll be looking at in GPPs. But what, what's your thoughts yeah, on absolutely. Minnesota offense? I, well, I, I, get a, I get a little turned around on this because, you know, as a lifelong Steelers fan myself, uh, and Antonio Brown being the de facto wide receiver one for the entire NFL for multiple seasons now, you see him atop the target leaderboard, and you're like, oh, well, you're just going to play Brown. But it really isn't that simple. I mean, Thielen is cheaper. He has caught 12 more balls on the same number of targets this season. He's turned that into 216 more yards. And the only thing that he is doing less of than Brown is getting in the end zone. Now, part of that is going to be that Brown is a you know bigger, more physical receiver. He's going to catch more balls down there. But if you're just getting that much target share and turning it into that many catches, you're just going to find pay dirt from time to time. So I, uh, I'm a big believer in Thielen. I think he is the premier 
cash game wide receiver in a season that features a lot of really, really good wide receivers. And I think he's still too cheap. You know, I think people the or the algorithms or however it works exactly for FanDuel and DraftKings, they just move too slowly. Like they don't adjust to... So I, I talked about sample size earlier, and I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. Yes, we're early in the season, and some things we're gonna, we should take with a grain of salt, right? Like I, we mentioned Antonio Brown's uh, target to reception ratio, and I think that's the type of thing where you can say, you know, him and Ben have a really long track record. Probably that number is going to come up to around the established yeah. levels, and we probably don't have to be too worried after five games, right? But something like how many targets are getting a game actually a five-game sample is plenty because targets are totally in the control of the quarterback and the coaching staff. And if they're seeing something where they can get feel on the ball in a very, very hyper-efficient way too, by the way, I mean, 71% is excellent. It's basically just, I think it's only Michael Thomas of the receivers with 40 or more targets, uh, Michael Thomas and Cooper Cup, that are turning that men- that large of a target share into a greater percentage of catches. And that's just where there's smoke, there's fire. Like, I don't think that that is a sample size issue. I think Thomas is 98% or 95% uh, target share or target it's conversion ridiculous. percentage is probably an aberration. Like, he's not going to do that all season long. But no. I think when it comes to Thielen, you can probably rely on it. So, yeah, I feel uh, I feel really good about the Minnesota offense. Um, a couple other things before we get out of here. You know, one of the guys I'm looking at right now, too, uh, just in that cheap wide receiver with upside territory is Chester Rogers over with Indy. Uh, you know, if Indy is going to continue to pass the ball this much, I don't think it's unreasonable to assume. I mean, Rogers coming off back to back weeks with 11 targets, he's still cheap. Uh, you know, they again, if Hilton obviously is healthy, that might ding into his targets a little bit. But I personally think he's a very, very interesting option at a relatively cheap price point right now. So. Uh, he's another guy, just another cheap value guy. Really probably should be in the same conversation as Valdez Scaling. It's just that Scaling found the end zone and Rodgers didn't. And yep. if the plan in a, with an indie team with a terrible running attack right now is just to target him double-digit times per game, you're going to have to see a price increase there soon. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I got a question for you when breaking down these these low-end guys. When you're looking at cash games, are you looking at like a calculation of like three times value on DraftKings, which gets you, I believe that's, uh, what, 150 points on DraftKings, and then like a two times value, mm-hmm. which is about 120 points on FanDuel? Do you kind of calculate it that way? That's the way I kind of look at cash games. I want that floor of three times on DraftKings, two times on FanDuel. Mm-hmm. And then for upside uh, GPPs, I'm kind of looking in that four uh, three on FanDuel and even up in that five range, but definitely the three and the two times value is kind of how I calculate to say, okay, uh, Chester Rogers, for instance, this week, if you wanted to use him in cash games, if he's going to get that high target share again, he only needs 13 and a half DraftKings points to hit that cash value at 4,500. Yeah. So he's done that twice in a row easily the last two weeks. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it. I think a lot of times people, like I notice this among our chatters a lot of times where they have a really difficult time putting into context exactly what it like people in our chat were concerned about Valdez Scantling going into this week and saying, you know, fast forward to the second quarter where Scantling's on one target and no catches or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you know, that could happen. And he really doesn't need to do much to make you pretty happy too, you know? And that's the thing with these cheap wide receivers. And especially again, given that we're living in an era where you can get guys below 6,000 who are coming off of multiple double digit target weeks that's just a luxury we didn't used to have in the past. I, I think it's just the algorithm's mind playing tricks on itself because in the past, like double-digit target share per game 
was like a you know last season five guys averaged 10 or more targets a game five players in the nfl this year we're seeing 18 to 20 guys week in week out doing it now sometimes those guys rotate you know like a lot of players are game script dependent but a lot of times a guy will become a double digit target guy because a new opportunity opened up and in india you get it both ways you get the hilton injury and the dedication to the pass and i think for me that's going to make rogers like 13 DraftKings points if he catches eight balls for 50 yards, he's there, right? So that's uh, that's kind of the way I would think about it. And then I think for big tournaments, this is actually something I see people make a mistake on all the time where you look at someone like, say, uh, I don't know who even a good example here, say Alex Smith, right, where uh, the average fantasy points might not be so bad, but the opportunity for that huge blow-up week is nearly non-existent. And it's really, really hard to wind up with the best total lineup when you have Alex Smith as your quarterback. And, and they're running back examples of this, wide receiver examples of this uh, as well. So, you know, a guy like maybe Carlos Hyde or Marshawn Lynch, these guys are just really exceedingly unlikely to pop off for those huge weeks, right? Uh, versus some of the more explosive, you know, younger guys who are doing more with their touches, but maybe haven't gotten the total touches yet, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, always good to think in terms of big tournament versus uh, cash game when you're considering an individual player. The last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here is tight end. Uh, tight end has been an absolute stain on the entire NFL this season. We saw basically two good tight end performances last week. What are we supposed to do with tight end right now? Uh, you know, we and 78% of the cash game field played Vance McDonald just because he was cheap and he was awful. Do we have to do this all season? Is it literally going to be like trying to X out the position and just play the cheapest guy? Or is there some light at the end of the tunnel here? Yeah, this is where I think it's really important to get those Chester Rogers, um, Kiki Kute for me, those cheap wide receiver mm. values that are getting lots of targets in your cash game lineups because we almost are forced to pay up for a tight end because it's been so ugly this year. Uh, Jordan Reed let us right. down last week. Jared Cook let us down. Uh, you said Vance McDonald let us down. Um, this week is even worse because the top four priced uh Tight ends yep. on DraftKings overall are Kelsey, Ertz, Gronk, and Kittle are all playing primetime, so they're not mm-hmm. on the main slate this week. Eric Ebron <laughs> is the most expensive tight end on the main slate, which just seems ridiculous to me. I never thought I'd ever say that. So it's, yeah. it's really been a mess. So um, something I've been doing is, again, looking for that Vance McDonald. This week for me, it's Cameron Brait uh, with O.J. Howard out. He catches okay. touchdowns. Um, he's got yeah, his buddy back, Jameis Winston starting. So he's the cheap guy I'm looking at this week. But other than that, I mean, it's it's really a crapshoot. Uh, Jordan Reed let us down last week, but I think he can exploit the matchup this week against Carolina, who's been a little weaker against tight end uh, in the pass in general versus shutting down the run. So I think even with Adrian Peterson banged up a little bit that uh, there's going to be some target mm. share going towards Reed and Chris Thompson even. So it's it's really been ugly this year. Um and, I mean, with the prices of Todd Gurley going up, James Conner going up, Melvin Gordon, all those high-priced running backs that are, you know, your rock-solid plays every week, you really got to go cheap. You can't pay up for, for Kelsey and Ertz most weeks when you're paying up for those running backs. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, you know, Jimmy Graham, too. He's another guy. He had 11 targets last week in the banged-up passing game. He's also playing on Monday night. So, yeah, it's yeah. definitely slim pickings. Uh, a couple guys that I liked from last week. Uh, going forward, especially on the main slate this week. I talked about Njoku in the cash game article. Uh, 11 targets last week, 7 the prior week. It seems like they're kind of leaning more on him going forward. And I think you could wind up seeing a pretty significant cash game ownership for him. I think especially on DraftKings, I believe off the top of my head, he's like 
3,800 or something absurd there. Or no, maybe, not, yep. never mind, I'm sorry. 38. Um, but, uh, but yeah, nonetheless, like you're seeing really good values on very, on a guy who is among the target leaders at tight end, but you don't have to pay like Zach Ertz level prices. Um, I think Ebron, 6,500 starts to be a lot for a tight end, and there's a lot of passes going around in Indy right now. Yep. I'm just not sure. I mean, he's also got four catches for 30 yards and I'm 100%. So, you know, if you can afford it, God bless you. But at this point, I would rather prioritize. Like, I would hate to pay up for a guy like Ebron, who I think is going to be highly volatile at the most volatile position in all of the NFL, and give up on a, a you know, go down from, say, Adam Thielen to a Tier 2 wide receiver. You know, that's not a decision I want to make. Like, I don't want to go from Thielen to Keelan, Keenan Allen or something. Um, I'd much rather go from Ebron to Njoku, right? Um, 100%. So, uh, so that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. You know, who knows? We'll see as the week progresses. You know, you mentioned Brait. Sometimes opportunity does open up at tight end, and we get a chance to dip down cheaper. Niles Paul is another example there. Uh, Paul had nine targets last week. If he's the main pass-catching tight end going into week six, I think you could see some good cash game ownership on him. Also exceedingly cheap. But uh, ultimately, you're probably just going to have to be holding your nose and praying for the best, man, because this is uh, this is not the year of the tight end. That much is for sure. It's something else, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, dude. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, thanks a lot to our friend Chris. Check him out over on DFSR.com. He's putting up NFL articles, PGA articles, NASCAR articles, really anything that we need that's not the four major sports. He does those and does some of those too. So head on over to DFSR.com. Remember, DFSR.com slash deals will get you a $5 discount on your lifetime membership and also get you a free three-day trial just to check us out and see what we're all about. That deal is for podcast listeners only, so don't tell anyone unless they listen to the podcast. I'll tell you what, Chris, thanks again, man, and uh, we'll see you in the chat room throughout the week. Sounds good. Cheers, everybody. Hi, folks. Dirk Bentley here. Being on the go is a big part of my life. I love seeing new places, meeting new people, and performing all over the world. For energy on the go, for me, it's five-hour energy. It works fast, works long, and it tastes good. With zero sugar and four calories. Try it. It could work for your on-the-go life, too. Five-hour energy. Energy on the go. Get five-hour energy at your local Casey's. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.